we are currently living in this very moment. We're living the message that I'm speaking about today. And I want to talk to you about how to spend time with God. And I think it's so important that we realize that spending time with God is never a mistake. What a waste of time that 20 minutes I gave to God said no one ever. It's never a waste. Take take me down a little bit, but it's never a waste to spend time with God. The problem is, is that so many of us have been conditioned by condemnation that we don't have the right to go to God. But this is the lie of the enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night. Revelation chapter 12, 11 says, verse 10 and 11, that the accuser has been thrown down, who accuses the brethren day and night. Listen, this is the devil's mode of operation. It's condemnation, guilt and shame. And it may be justified that you be condemned, judged, feel guilty or shame. It may be justified, but it's been but you've become justified through the blood of Jesus. Therefore, the devil doesn't have the right to operate in your life. So he deceives you into condemning yourself. He gets you to condemn yourself. That's why the scripture says in Romans chapter 14, happy is the man that does not condemn himself. The devil condemns me all the time, but that doesn't have any power over my happiness. What has power over my happiness is whether I condemn myself. The Bible says happy is the man that does not condemn himself in what he approves. And I've decided to approve of myself because God approves of me. I want you to decide to approve of yourself because God approves of you. It's Romans 14, 22 in the I think in the New American Standard translation, by the way, that scripture. Um, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. You know, the reason Jesus said in John chapter five in the New Living Translation, he said to the Pharisees, your approval means nothing to me. The reason he said your approval means nothing to me is because he doesn't need religious approval. He did things that were very unreligious. He talked to prostitutes. He ate with sinners. He sat with tax collectors. He said to a woman at the well, come, go and get your husband. Now, did Jesus ever sin? No, he did not. Did Jesus ever sin? Come on, help me. Like he better not of or none of us can be saved. It's the sinless, spotless blood of Jesus that saves us. Amen. So did Jesus ever sin? No. But you know what he did do? You know what he did? He was sarcastic sometimes. He was a smart Alec at times. He said to this woman, she said, why are you talking to me? He said, because if you 
asked of me, I would give you living water. And if, if you drink the living water, you'll never thirst again. And she said, what, what is such water that you speak of? And he said, go and get your husband and I'll tell you more. And she's like, um, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're living with isn't even your husband, but go and get him. How great is our savior? You know, if somebody had five husbands here today. First of all, that would be a miracle that you even want to keep the one you got, but but <laughs> just kidding. But we would be like, ooh, what kind of loser are they? What kind of failure are they? What kind of bad person is that? Can't they see the pattern? Everyone they touch, every person they touch, their life crumbles and their life falls apart. He could have been like like that. How dare you come for living water? You're living with a man that you're not even married to. But he didn't say any of that, did he? But, you know, we get so caught up in judging people now. Social media is such that it's so shameful. It's shaming people. It's condemning people. It's arguing with people on social media. There's so many arguments. There's you know, I've I've lived through 11 presidents and 22 presidencies, I think 22, uh, whatever the number is uh, per four years. But 11 different men have occupied the White House in America since I've since I've been alive. And you know what? None of them have helped me. None of them ever came over. None of them ever gave me any money. They've taken my money and I don't even know them. My trust is in God. Man can't save us. Man can't deliver us. Man can't help us. Man will not come through for us. People will disappoint you. You will disappoint yourself. The devil will disappoint you. Your loved ones will disappoint you. But God will never disappoint you. And disappointment is a gift from God and loneliness also is a gift from God. I wish we would stop shaming people for being lonely. Stop shaming people for uh, being disappointed. Disappointment and loneliness are emotional signals that are pointing you to God. I'm grateful I felt rejected as a 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old. I'm grateful for those for those years. It was the worst at the time, right? It was the worst feeling at the time. You got zits growing everywhere, including your butt like they're everywhere. <laughs> right. Nobody you're awkward. Your body isn't fully developed. It's you're, you're, you're walking funny. You're shaped funny. Your your eyes are f twisted and crossed and it's just the worst. And, the, and the, 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 the pretty people make fun of the rest of us in those years. And we feel rejection and we feel pushed away, pushed aside, thrust aside, cast aside. What's the word um, that Jesus used? Brushed aside. I'm so grateful for those 
years of my life because they they made my heart ready to look for someone who would not reject me. They made my heart ready to find Jesus, although I didn't find him, he found me. Right. By the way, Rob was talking about plans. And if you want to really make God laugh, tell him your plans. He will laugh. He'll be like, I got you. Yeah, you keep planning that. But though man plans his ways, God orders his steps. See, don't even trust what you think is God's plan. Trust God. Well, I think God gave me this plan. Trust God, because as soon as you move your trust from God to what you think is God's plan, you are missing the point. Life is all about trusting God. It's all about spending time with God. It's all about believing God. It's all about spending time with God. It's all about worshiping God. And it's all about inviting others to that experience. Each one reach one should be the saying of our lives. Each one reach one. you think about it. We were telling the kids, the young people the other day that if each one of these young people would just reach one kid in the next six months, one kid in the remainder of 2023, if they would just bring one to Jesus, bring one to church uh, and then stay with that person, stay like keep keep that person coming and keep that person encouraged and inspired and, and pick that person up if you have to. But if each one of us would take responsibility to disciple one more person in our life, it doesn't have to be. We were hearing about life group leaders that <laughs> our life group meetings, our community life, you know, community life meetings. It's, it's the goal is not just to come to church on Sunday, but is to live out our lives with one another through the week and encourage one another, pray with one another, meet together, have meals together, encourage each other, strengthen each other. And this one life and our life groups are supposed to they're designed to be like an hour long or, you know, hour and 15 minutes or something. And, you know, some discussion about what, what, what everybody heard that previous Sunday. There's this one life group. They, they have like 50 people coming to it and they're and we asked them, like, how you know, how long do your meetings go? And they're like, oh, they, we start like at 11 in the morning and we go to like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, wow, that's that's like Sunday, Sunday night services used to be right. Sunday, you know, we just started at 10 and then, you know, we'd be home by midnight, except on Super Bowl Sundays. And the Holy Spirit would lead me to end the service earlier. <laughs> I don't know why he did it always. It was like it was always in, in alignment with whatever with the Super Bowl that year. I, I'm not even a fan, but it would just happen that way. I'm lying now, guys. Okay. <laughs> And it's just that there's so much life there. There's so much to talk about. There's so much. And like we're we're supposed to live this life out with each other and spend time with God and with each other. And the, the thing about spending time with God that that I really want to get across to you is we need to believe in the miracle of giving to God. We need to believe in the miracle of giving to God. And what what I mean by that is 
There's always a miracle in this way. Whatever you give to God, he will always give back to you and better or more. So if you give God your tithe, the first of your income, if you if you give God the first fruits, he will give back to you. We know the scripture says good measure, pressed down, shake together and running over. Right. He will always give back in so much a, a better way, like the little boy gave five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And when Jesus gave it to the disciples, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And, he, and it fed five thousand men, not including women and children. So it could have been anywhere near anywhere closer to 20,000 people with five loaves and five loaves and two fish. So not only did the miracle sustain and take care of the thousands of people that had been following Jesus for those three days, but the miracle also came back to the little boy with 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets were left over. They started with five loaves and two fish, couldn't even fill a basket. But there were 12 baskets left over. And you know what those 12 baskets, I believe, were for? It was for each of the disciples to carry that basket home to that little boy, take it to his house and leave, drop off those 12 baskets. That word basket is also, by the way, just to kind of demonstrate this miracle of what this actually was happened, what was actually happening was the word basket there is the same word used in the book of Acts when the Bible says that they lowered Paul down. They lowered the apostle Paul down through a basket from one floor to another in a building. They lowered him down in a basket. So now imagine a man in a basket like when we see the electric companies, employees out on one of those trucks that have a lift and they're they're fixing one of the light you know, one of those traffic lights, right? And those traffic lights, when you look at them driving, they seem they rather small, right? But and then they seem really small when you're going fast, right? <laughs> but when a man is on that lift standing next to that light, it's like the same. He's that lamp or that light is the size of a of a man. It's actually quite large and and he's he's being held in a basket, which is a metal basket in that case, which is quite large. And this is the kind of basket that Paul was lowered down in when it talks about that in the book of Acts. These are the kind of baskets, the same word used that 12 baskets of food were left over after Jesus fed the multitudes. And that's why it took these disciples to carry these baskets. Now I'm reading into that. They actually carried it to his house. But whose house should they carry it to? They, they couldn't have said, you know what? God really blessed me. I think I'll take one of these home. They gave it to the one who gave. It always comes back to the giver. The one who gave it was not the disciples. The one that gave it was a little boy. So when Jesus says give and it'll be given to you, good measure, press down, shake the other running over, he wouldn't withhold that principle from this little boy. If it works, if that's the words Jesus said, that's what's going to govern every act of giving. Whatever you give to God will always come back better or more. So when we but we don't we sometimes miss it. We, we think if we give God our heart, he'll give us a better heart and we're OK with that. But when we talk about if you give God money, will he really give you back some money? Well, God is a multiplier of everything you give him. So it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with giving. 
So when you give God time, it's okay to actually I get it. There's only 24 hours in a day for everybody. You know, we hear the motivational people. Well, you know what? Everybody has 24 hours and you're sleeping eight of them. That means you got 16 hours and you're working for eight of them. So that means you got eight other hours and you're, you know, eating meals and da da da. You got plenty of hours to do this and do do. And they're talking people into realizing how much time they actually do have. And there is truth to that. However, there's something greater than that. When you give God time, he gives back something to you that is unquantifiable. You can't actually put your arms around where it comes from because God doesn't need time to work his miracles and his power. He's not limited by time. He created time as an instrument for mankind to operate by. But he doesn't operate by the same method because he is the creator of time. He doesn't need time. That's why to him a thousand a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. As far as we're concerned, Jesus was just here two days ago. And he told the, the, the good Samaritan when he was talking about being in the inn, you know, at the hotel, when he dropped the, the, the man that had been beaten up, left half dead. He took him to the inn. The good Samaritan took him to the inn, dropped him off, gave him two days of two days of coins, two days of wages. He said, here's two days worth of wages. And if if you if you don't, if that's not enough, I'll give you more when I come back. I'll be back in two days which is 2000 years to the Lord. That parable could be a prophetic picture of Jesus coming back soon. Now, I don't know if he's coming back soon. I don't know if he's coming back at noon. I don't know if he's coming back in my lifetime or in your lifetime, but he is coming back. And in the meantime, whatever you give him, he will give it back to you in better condition than how you gave it. Happens every time. Happened for the widow in Elijah's day. Happened to the widow in Elisha's day. Happened to the, um, the little boy. It happens everywhere we see giving, everywhere we see somebody giving God something, he always gives it back better. Jesus said on the cross, Into thy hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And the Bible says, God breathed back into him three days later. Jesus was resurrected. He breathed, he gave his last breath to the Father. And the father gave him breath for eternity. And he rose from the dead and he ever liveth now standing as your intercessor to bring you always freedom and access to the father. Spending time with God is no different than spending anything with God. Whatever you give him, he'll make it better. Give him your body. He'll make it better. Give him your time. He'll make it better. Give him your words. He'll use them to make things better. You got to give God something to work with. If you give him money, he'll work with that. Give him time. He'll work with that. Give him both. You'll see so many great things happen in your life because you can't outgive God. By the way, in today's economy, things are very unstable very uncertain. The instability in our country is creating instability around the world economically. The dollar is losing its value in many countries. It's down right now. And I believe it's down, but it's not out. I believe that God has 
God can bless this country. And I believe the way to it is through revival, not through politics. I believe that politics can move the needle a little bit, but prayer moves the needle a lot a bit and and operating, operating by God's kingdom principles causes success in your life, regardless of who's in office. Now, we've had some wild things happen in America in, in, the, in the last presidencies, in the last few presidencies that we've seen. But do you know that if you just stuck to God's plan over that over the last 20 or 30 years or 10 years or five years, if you just stick to God's plan, God's way of doing things, when when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all and his righteousness and all these things would be added to you, he wasn't saying seek first heaven. Heaven is a place and we're going to go there because the blood of Jesus has washed us of our sin, right? We're going to spend eternity with God in heaven when we die. But when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a place. He's talking about a system. The word kingdom there means government. It means system. So he says, seek first, put God's system first. This world has a system of greed and approval and playing politics and, and, and stepping over people and doing all these crazy things. This world system is broken. This world system will 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 ruin you. This world system will make you miserable. This world system will make you compare yourself to others and you'll be unhappy the rest of your life. That's why we don't operate by this world system. We operate by God's system and the system of this world. The Bible says, do not love this world. It says, do not love this world, but he's not taught. John says this in first John, chapter two, do not love this world, nor the things of this world. And that word world there is system world, the, the system of this world. Do not love this world system or the things of this world system. It's not he's not telling us not to love people. He's not telling us to not love the world. He's telling us to not love the world system, which is rooted in fear. But the kingdom of God's system is rooted in love and generosity, love and generosity, love and generosity. That kingdom, when you put it first, that's why all these things will be added to you because you're operating by a better system. The old system has been hacked into by the devil. The old system has been pirated. The old system has been hijacked the old system. The world system has been corrupted by Satan and corrupted by greed and corrupted by man's wisdom. But the kingdom of God system, the way God does things, it's uncorrupted. It's incorruptible. It's built on love. It's built on generosity. It's built on kindness. It's built on mercy. It's built on forgiveness. It's built on love. It's built on the gift of righteousness. This world seeks righteousness by making sure everybody pays what's right. But if we had to pay what we owe for our sin, we would be our death. But Jesus gives us his gift of righteousness that he's talking about this. Seek this, seek this kingdom, God's way of doing things and his righteousness, which is a gift. 
through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign as kings in this life. If you would just wake up to who you are, if you would just wake up to the fact that you're a king, if you would just wake up to the fact that you're kings and priests, if you would just wake up to the fact that you are a son or daughter of the kingdom and you operate by principles and systems that this world that, is, that are above this world system and none of God's way of doing things is broken. It works every time the same way every time. You put a seed in the soil, it will grow into something every time. It's not well, some seeds work and some seeds don't No, Some seeds are cultivated correctly and some seeds are not. But most of the time, why the seeds aren't growing is because nobody's planting them. We are not of this world system. We're not in bondage to it. Therefore, I'm not going to live in the fear of it. And the more I do things God's way with my money, the more I'm seeing God's results. Fear is is got a hold on too many Christians. There's too much fear. We got to stop being afraid. We got to stop being afraid of speaking forth faith filled words. We got to stop being afraid of of planting seeds. We got to stop being afraid of generosity and think, oh, if I give God my my last this or my last that, I'm not, it's not it's all I'm going to have. I'm not going to I'm going to run out. Well, that's what the woman thought when Elijah said Elijah said, give me, you know what you got, you and your son. She said, we're going to eat this and then die. And he said, just give it to me first and let's see what happens. And she gives it to him and they all eat for the next three years and it never runs out until Elijah calls forth the rain back and then the heaven gives rain. We have to realize we're of a different system, people. And the most important thing you can do with your time is spend it with God. How do you spend time with God? I'll give you some things real quick just to catch you up to the earlier service. What earlier service you say? The earlier service that we have online as a part of our global community church and which is at nine o'clock still every Sunday and later in the day, too. How do we spend time with God? Number one, we spend time with God by coming boldly to him. This is a way to come to God with confidence. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, therefore, we have access to the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have boldness to enter the holiest. Wow. The holiest. I was talking to one of my kids the other day and talking about the temple when. God told Moses to build the tabernacle. God told Solomon to build the temple. It was there was it was made up of three parts. There was the there was the outer courts of the temple. Then there was the inner courts of the temple. And then there was the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. And I was just talking about how in the same way that God had the outer court, the inner court and the Holy of Holies, that's how we need to be with our relationships with people. Most people need to be in the outer courts of our life. Some people we should let on the, into the inner courts of our life and very few people we should let into the Holy of Holies. We should embrace everybody in the outer courts. 
We should bring some into our inner. Each one of us should have an inner court and each one of us should have a holy of holies. It's not like mine's better than yours. Yours is as good as mine is. Yours is just yours. You know, it's a model. It's a pattern that God created so that we would find guidance through that pattern and that we would realize that many Christians do want to remain in the outer courts with God. Some want to go into the inner courts, which is a little more involved. But then there are there are some who I want each of us to be in this category where we are boldly entering the holiest place by the blood of Jesus and coming boldly. Then what are we doing? When we come boldly, we're going to ask freely. Jesus said, if you if you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. In John 16, 23, Jesus said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, I say to you, whatsoever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. Wow. So how do you spend time with God? Come boldly. How do you spend time with God? Ask freely. How do you spend time with God? Expect joyfully. Jesus said in John 16, 24, up until now, you asked me nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Hey, if you're having a joy deficiency, it's most likely because you're having an asking God deficiency. You're not going to God boldly. You're not asking him freely. You're not you're not receiving joyfully. He says to expect it joyfully, he said, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. It, the, the fact is, asking and receiving is not even the objective here. The whole objective that he gives us this promise for is so that he can make us people of joy. He said, I want your joy to be full. I want your joy to be overflowing. I want you to be happy people. I want you to be pleasant people. I want you to be thankful people. I want you to be people that feel my joy in the inner soul of your being. I want your joy to not just be a little bit. I want it to be full. And when this word full is used in the Bible, it means to the full, to, to, the, to be filled to the full, to the overflow. Jesus is using the whole promise of receiving the answer to our prayer as a mechanism to the place of fullness of joy. It's not man. People say, well, you guys are just telling people they can ask God for something because it's their greed and he, they, they just want to be selfish and they want to ask. Jesus is is he's not inviting us to be selfish here, but he's inviting us to have personal benefit from the promise of prayer. The personal benefit is not just that you can ask and receive. The greater personal benefit here is that your joy would be made full. Asking and receiving is a gateway to overflowing joy. That's why we need to be able to. That's why we need to know that when we go to God, through the blood of Jesus, we can be confident and we can have boldness and we can ask him boldly. My God, he's able to do it. What does it say? Ephesians 3:20, exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that you can ask or think. And one translation says all that you can ask, think, dream or imagine. I want you to do something today. I want you to. How can I say this? 
I want you to put, put on the altar your small God. Get rid of the idolatry of a small God because he's not small. Well, can I really ask him for anything? I mean, I don't know. Whose report are you going to believe, Jesus or bitter Christians that want to accuse you of being selfish for being bold? You want to I mean, I don't know who you're following. I'm following Jesus. That I might see him more clearly so I can love him more dearly so I can follow him more nearly. That's what I want. We got to stop being thinking God's stingy. Well, don't ask too much, you know. He, he, he's going to do exceeding abundantly above all above and beyond all that you can ask or think. And you know what? He's actually doing it no matter what you are asking him for. You're always getting better than what you're asking for. Always. Most people aren't asking for much. And yet look at how blessed we are still. If you start asking for more, then you get into why. And there's nothing wrong with I want to ask freely. I want to come boldly, ask freely so I can expect joyfully. Because I want joy in my life. I want to be laughing in life. There's there's tension and stress and there's real problems in this world. But God did not put us on this earth to be to succumb to the depression of this world and to base our joy on what's going on around us. He wants our joy to be based on this interaction with him, asking and receiving, coming boldly, asking freely, expecting joyfully. And then what? Receiving confidently. Mark eleven twenty four tells us Jesus said all things which you pray and ask, believe you have received them. In the New American Standard translation, it says, believe you have received them, believe he said, whatever you pray and ask for, believe you have received it. And they will be granted to you. It's God's part to and the universe that does things God's way because God created the universe. Somebody said, you're talking about the universe doing things. How you must be new age. I'm new is better than old. New age is better than old age. But I'm not talking about new age religions. But the universe was something God made. And in this universe are certain governing principles that when you abide by those principles in the universe, like being a giver, it always comes back to you. That's how God set up the universe. We're not worshiping the universe. We're worshiping the God who created the universe and we're worshiping him by honoring the principles of the universe that he set up to be operated that way. Come boldly, ask freely, expect joyfully and receive confidently. You have to learn how to pray for something and believe you have received it, whether you see it or not. Believe you have received it the moment you ask for it. Believe you have received it and then God and the universe and life will grant it to you. 
It will be granted to you. It doesn't say who's going to do the granting because it doesn't matter. We know the one who ultimately has given permission for these things to be granted is our Heavenly Father. He has given the universe permission to grant us whatever we ask for. And sometimes it comes directly out of heaven and sometimes it comes through people. But it is the system that God put into existence and we're simply putting it into operation. He put it into existence. We put it into operation. I'm way over time here today. I apologize, but we'll just have to pick this up because what I'm about to get to on this list. By the way, these are not steps to take. These all are ways to spend time with God. Come boldly, ask freely, expect joyfully, receive confidently. All of these things are in cooperation and in conjunction with your relationship with God. And these are the these are the ways in which you can relate to him by coming boldly by the blood of Jesus. You can come boldly and just stand there. And be loved, even when you don't want to ask for anything, you can just be loved. Let's stand together and let's be loved. If you have never received Jesus as your savior, I want you to pray with me out loud and I want everybody to pray together out loud as well. Everybody watching, everybody, our city campus, we love you. And everybody pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is the son of God and I believe he died for my sin and he rose from the dead. He died on the cross so that I could truly live. I receive him freely in Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You know, when I travel to other places in the world outside of our country, my passport shows the countries where I go to that I'm a citizen of America, even though I'm not in America, when they are looking at my citizenship. I am present at that moment, even though I'm not in the United States of America, I am a citizen of the United States of America. And in the same way, even though we are on this earth sojourning right now, we are citizens of heaven and we will be back there in heaven one day, spending eternity together with our heavenly father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit and one another. What could be better than that? Let us go. Let us go and let us make disciples and let us win this world to Jesus one life at a time. Amen. If you prayed that prayer to be saved, come to the altar. If you need healing, come to the altar. If you just want somebody to lay hands on you, come to the altar. You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Come to this beautiful altar where God will meet you right where we stand. You're dismissed in Jesus name. Come to the altar for anybody that wants to.
Hallelujah. Thanks for being here, everybody. I love you guys. Love you all.